Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Psalm 73 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're starting a new book, book three of the book of Psalms. Uh, so Psalm 73. So there's a story about a man who was traveling across the United States. He was, he was making a flight, and, and he got stuck in an airport. He had a layover for a few hours, and so he decided that he was going to get himself a, a snack, get himself a snack and some coffee and a newspaper and just hang out for a little while. And so he was uh, in luck because the airport where he was stuck at, boy, they had one of those donut shops, you know, the kind that make the fresh little mini donuts, you can watch them go through the thing, and they drop out, and they cover them in cinnamon and sugar or, or powdered sugar, whatever it is, and, and you get your little bag of donuts. And so he saw this place, and he got his bag of mini donuts, and he took his coffee and his newspaper, and he went to the cafeteria to find a spot to sit down, and it was crowded. Boy, there was no place for him to sit, and he finally found one table. It was a larger table, and there was one other man already there, but he thought, you know, I could kind of squeak in, sit across from him, but not directly, so it's not really awkward. And so he went, and he took off his coat and set it down, and he set down his coffee, and he set down his his newspaper and put down his bag, and he sat there, and he opened up his coffee and took a sip and took a donut out of the bag, and boy, he just started to enjoy his donuts. And as he's there, just enjoying his donuts and his coffee, the man who was sitting across from him reached over grabbed his bag of donuts, took out a donut, set the bag down, began to eat his donuts and smile. The man was beside him, what's going on here? This guy just stole one of my donuts. So he was just, he didn't know what to do. He thought, should I say something? He decided, you know, I'm not sure if this guy is all there mentally. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. I don't want it to just come unglued. So he said, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. But he gave him one of those looks like, I'm watching you. I know what you're up to. Don't you even think about stealing another one of my donuts. And he took out another donut and slid the donuts as far away from the man as he could and began to eat his donuts. Well, no sooner had he begun to eat his donuts when the man again reached across, way over, grabbed the bag of donuts, took a second donut, out, began to eat it, and slid the donuts back across, smiled and nodded. Now that he didn't know what to do with himself, he stole two donuts from me now. Who does this guy think he is? No manners whatsoever. And right as he was just about to really say something, he's like, you know what, I'm not going to. And then the other man, he got up, and it was his time to leave. And he thought, oh, you better get out of here. About time you left, donut thief. Get out of here. And so the man, uh, right before he left, he reached down. There was one donut left in the bag. He took the donut, he split it in half, set half the donut there, popped the other half of the donut in his mouth, smiled, and walked away. And the man thought to himself, I'm not eating that donut, you filthy donut thief. You probably are infected got worms or something. I'm not eating that. And just then his alarm went off, alerting him that he needed to catch his other flight. So he stood up, he put on his coat, grabbed his cup of coffee, he reached down to grab his bag, and he discovered his bag of donuts sitting on top of his bag. (laughs) He actually thought that the man was stealing his donuts when the other man was sharing his donuts. See, he got it all wrong. Have you ever been in a situation where you just completely misread everything that was going on? You thought you had it pegged. You thought you knew, but really, you had no idea whatsoever. Well, that's what's going on in Psalm 72. That's what's going on with the psalmist, Asaph. As he pins Psalm 72, man, he's bent out of shape. He's upset. He he thinks he knows what's going on, but he has no idea. He looks around at the world, 
and he sees a situation whereby he perceives that wicked men seem to be just living the good life, that, that they have everything they want. They have no trouble at all. They, they cheat, they lie, they steal, they swindle, and their reward is everything that they ever wanted and a good life to boot. And so the psalmist comes to this place where he says, what's the point? Why do I even try? Why do I even pursue holiness if my only reward is going to be misery? And if we're honest, we wrestle with that same dilemma in our day and age, don't we? Why is it that an immoral man who has never stepped foot in a church, let alone praised God, who openly and regularly curses the Lord, can cheat on his taxes, cheat on his spouse, cheat his way up the corporate ladder, and seemingly enjoy everything life has to offer, while the devout saint who loves the Lord, who walks according to his statutes, who is faithful in giving, who is faithful in attendance, seems to, to, to struggle. Why is that? Oh, and, and we have these questions. This is where the psalmist, he struggled. But you know where the psalmist went? He went for answers to the sanctuary. So you guys, if you've ever wrestled with that, boy, you're in a good spot this morning. Where do you go to find the answer to those issues, to the sanctuary, to church. The psalmist Asaph, as we're going to see as we make our way through this psalm, he went into the sanctuary. He went into the house of the Lord. And you know what happened? The Lord met him there. The Lord gave him perspective, and the Lord gave him clarity. And so let's take a look. Let's dive into Psalm 73 this morning, verse 1. Psalm 71, verse 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. So there's a lot of things in this world that we don't understand. There's a lot of things that we can't wrap our minds around. There's a lot of mysteries. There's a lot of things that I don't like. But I'll tell you what, there's one thing that we can know for absolute certain. There's one thing we can know for sure, and that is that God is good. God is good. All of the time, God is good. And you say, well, how can you know? How can you stand up there this morning and say with absolute surety, that God is good all the time when we look around at the world and we see so much difficulty. I'll tell you how I can know with absolute certainty. The sun came up this morning, didn't it? Boy, that's pretty good of the Lord. You have breath in your lungs this morning, don't you? Well, that was pretty good of the Lord. But more than that, we look back to the cross of Calvary. We know that God gave his only son to die on a Roman cross, to, to bleed to give his life for us that we might be forgiven. We have the resurrection that Jesus proved who he was by defeating the grave, by defeating death. And so if you were to say to me, well, how can you say with absolute certainty that God is good? Because he saved my soul from absolute destruction. He paid the price that I couldn't pay. Man, God is good. There's lots of things in this world that we're never going to be able to wrap our minds around. But we can know that God is good. And it's so important that we're grounded in that area as Christians because that's one of the areas that Satan loves to attack in our lives. He loves to come along and say, is God good? Is God really good? What about this? And what about that? And what about the other thing? Is God good? See, Satan loves to come along and, and try to undermine our, uh, our foundation that God is good. It's what he did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Remember when she was there being tempted to eat of the, the tree of knowledge and good and evil, there was this exchange between Satan and Eve. And he said, ah, go ahead and do it. Oh, I can't. If I eat of that tree, you know, I'm going to die in that day. And, and, and Satan said, is that really what God said? 
Come on. You, you know the real reason he doesn't want you to eat of that tree. Because in the day that you do, boy, you'll be just like God. You'll know. God's holding back, in other words. He's holding back goodness. That's what Satan told Eve. The Lord's holding back good things from you. And the Lord, he, he's not. He's good. But Satan tries to whisper that lie into our lives even today. And so, man, never lose sight of that truth that truly God is good. There's going to be things we don't get. But one thing that we can stand on is that God is good. Uh, verse 1 goes on to say that truly God is good to Israel. And remember that Israel was God's covenant people. It was a special nation. God had this specific relationship with Israel uh, so that the rest of the world would look in and say, well, why does the Lord have this relationship with them? They've done nothing uh, worthy of being God's chosen people. Why, why, to, God did it to really express and to show off his grace and his mercy. But Israel means, literally, uh, God prevails or that God wins, that, that we are governed by God, that, that, that the Lord is king uh, in our lives, that we're surrendered to the Lord. Now, when we talk about God being good, boy, God is good, and he's good to Israel, but God is good to all of the inhabitants of the earth, is he not? Again, the sun rose this morning. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, that the, the total heathen of this world enjoy the blessings of being in God's creation. The sun rises and falls on the good and the wicked. Boy, all of the inhabitants of the earth are blessed by God's goodness. But to be one who is governed by God, to be one who is surrendered to God, man, there is just a special blessing that comes along with that. God's good to those who are surrendered to him. God's good to those who are governed by him. See, we don't just enjoy just the common goodness of being in God's creation. We experience the goodness of God in that we enjoy relationship with him as those who are surrendered, as those who are governed by God. We enjoy his Holy Spirit. We enjoy his peace. We enjoy purpose in our lives. Man, God truly is good to those who are surrendered to him. He really is. So God truly is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And maybe as we read through that verse at that point, you said, uh-oh, pure in heart, huh? We're in trouble. See, if being pure in heart is a prerequisite to experiencing God's goodness, I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble. Because the truth is, my heart oftentimes isn't where it should be. Oftentimes, I feel like my heart isn't pure. But here's the good news. Because the truth is, your heart isn't pure. This whole idea that Disney promotes all the time, just follow your heart. Oh, just follow your heart. Whatever feels right, do that. That's going to get you in trouble. I guarantee it. Because our hearts are messed up. But when the Bible says, man, in, in the psalm, that, boy, the Lord is good to those who are pure in heart, what makes my heart pure? What makes my heart new? What makes my heart clean? What makes our hearts acceptable to the Lord? Is it my good deeds? Is it my thought life? Is it, you know, the consistency of my prayer life or my Bible knowledge or my standing as a church member? All of those things are good, but none of those things will save your soul. What makes our hearts pure, what makes our hearts clean is the blood of Jesus. 
It's only by the blood. It's the, by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed from our sins. That's what it says in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. And so when we read there in the beginning of the psalm that, man, the Lord is good to the pure in heart, we who have put our trust and faith in Jesus, whose lives have been washed in the blood, man, we can say, oh, that's us. We qualify. We may not feel that way, but, man, he's the one who cleanses us. We do not cleanse ourselves. And that is good news. Verse 2. But as for me, the psalmist says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph, as he looks around at the world, he gets his eyes off God. He starts to look around at people and the things that they possess. And as he does, boy, he begins to stumble. He begins to slip. He begins to lose it. He's in a place of confusion. He's, he, he's not sure exactly what to do. He became envious. See, that's what happens when we take our eyes off the Lord and begin to look around at other people. Whenever you start looking at what others have, it's just a small step away from what I don't have, which is just a small step away from, well, why do they have it anyways? Which is a small step away from, well, how come I don't have that? And pretty soon we're saying, yeah, Lord, they don't even deserve that. And why don't I have the stuff that I deserve? And pretty soon, boy, we're in this place like Asaph is, where he's not on solid ground anymore, where things are, are, are shaky. And envy is a trap. Boy, I tell you what, and it's something that we are so susceptible to in our day and age. It, it's something that is so fueled by social media. where That's what social media is. You get on social media and you start scrolling through and you're like, wow, man. They, they, they went to Hawaii, and that guy is bench pressing 7,000 pounds now, and she can run a 30-second mile, and he got a new car, and they got engaged, and she bought a mansion, and oh, man, I'm just here in my PJs eating Twinkies, watching SpongeBob, and my life is lame, and, and pretty soon you start to envy what people have. It, it, it's a bad situation, and we go from being content and grateful blessed. And then we start looking around and all of a sudden we're discontent and unhappy and ungrateful and unloving and jealousy and depression. And there's been many studies that show the link between social media and depression. Now, I'm not standing up here and telling everybody to, to cancel their Facebook or their Instagram or their Twitter or whatever it is. But I'm saying, be careful as you get that magic box out of your phone and give your thumb a workout. You know, uh, don't fall into that trap. Because by the way, there's a lot of hype in social media. Right? And no one's like waking up first thing in the morning, like hair a mess, sleep in their eyes, drool stains on their face and being like, tsh, tsh, hashtag the good life. You know, uh, people are using filters and it's not even real. Don't get sucked into that place where we're comparing and doing all of those things. Uh, you know, as we look at Asaph's life, as he slides into this place uh, of being envious and, and taking his eyes off the Lord, and how can we avoid that? Well, first of all, Man, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. We get ourselves into all manner of trouble when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we take our eyes off of the Lord. The Bible is filled with stories of men who have gotten in all sorts of trouble when they took their eyes off the Lord. Think about Abraham. Well, he took his eyes off the Lord and he ended up with an Ishmael. You think about uh, Jonah. Jonah took his eyes off the Lord, man, and he was in all sorts of uh, of trouble. You think about David. David took his eyes off the Lord and he had an affair. You think about 
uh, Peter, he took his eyes off the Lord, and we all know his story. He sank like a stone. Uh, man, be careful. Don't take your eyes off of the Lord. Secondly, don't worry about what other people have. It doesn't matter. What somebody else has in their life should have no, uh, you know, no real uh, effect on your sense of peace or joy. It, it should not matter at all. You guys remember the parable of the vineyard owner there in Matthew 20? Where the vineyard owner, in the morning, he hired some servants and he made the deal. He said, I'm going to pay all you guys one denarius for day's wage. And then at lunch, he hired some more guys and he made the same deal. And then just before quitting time, he hired a bunch more guys and he gave them the same deal. So everybody came to the boss at the end of the day to get paid. And the guys who worked all day long who got paid one denarius noticed that the guys who showed up for the last 45 minutes got one denarius also. And they're like, hey, wait a second. We worked all day and they only worked for you know, 45 minutes and they got the same pay as us. What gives? We're getting ripped off. And this is what Jesus said. He said in verse 15 of Matthew 20, he said, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? In other words, hey, it's mine to give. And don't forget, I've been good to all of you. See, the vineyard owner was good to everybody. Nobody got ripped off. Everybody got a, a good deal and a fair shake. Uh, but sometimes we lose sight of that when we get our eyes off of the Lord and on to, to other people. Hey, don't worry about what other people have. Keep your eyes on the road and, and don't worry about it because when you do, you become ungrateful. Galatians 6.4 tells us, but let each one examine his own work and then he will uh, have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. Very, very important that you not got, get sucked into that whole trap of, of comparing. and It's just a... a a road to being unhappy. And then lastly, uh, be grateful. Be grateful. See, this whole thing where we look around at what other people have and become envious, and then we wish that we had, and then we're ungrateful. Do you know that having a, a, an attitude of ingratitude is the opposite of God's will for your life? But the Bible tells us that God's will for our lives is to be grateful, to be thankful in all things. There in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that we would be a group of people who say, Lord, you've just been so good to me. It doesn't matter what the Lord has done for your neighbor or, or, or what your brother or your sister or anybody has been blessed with. The Lord has been good to you today. Be grateful for that. You say, but, 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 but nothing. The Lord has been good to you. Be grateful in that. Timothy goes on, or Paul goes in, on to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. There's such contentment, just loving the Lord and being content with where he has us. It's a good place. Uh, be careful uh, of the green-eyed monster. Man, it sneaks in subtly, and it causes us to be ungrateful. Verse 4, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. So as Asaph has taken his eyes off the Lord, his perspective is skewed. He's not seeing things accurately. And he says, well, you know, the wicked, those who are doing well, boy, they don't even have any trouble in life. When, when they die, boy, they just go out with ease and, and, and there's no trouble in their lives. Now, is that true? That's not true at all. Boy, trouble uh, comes to everybody. But Asaph, he's just not seeing it, again, because his eyes are off the Lord and his perspective is messed up. And that's what happens. Again, so important for us to keep our eyes on the Lord. Uh, because he began to move not according to faith, not according to what he knew to be true in scriptures, but he began to live his life according to how he felt and what he saw around him. 
And so he began to say these things and stand on them like, oh man, they don't even experience pain and death and they, they don't experience any trouble in their lives. And, and that's just not true. Trouble comes to everybody. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, trouble comes to you in this world. Why does trouble come to us in this world? Because we live in a fallen world. Because we live in a world filled with sin. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, boy, there was a curse brought on to this world and all of its inhabitants. And with that curse came sickness and sorrow and trouble. And so we will all face trouble at one point or another in this life because we live in a fallen world. Uh, that's not a, uh, anything, it's not a revelation to anybody. No one's like, what, really? Wow, I didn't know that. But here's the thing to consider when it comes to trouble. Uh, when it comes to considering trouble in the life of a believer versus an unbeliever, man, the unbeliever, what does the unbeliever have to hope in, to hope for, to lean on? Uh, the answer really is nothing. But as believers, man, we have everything. When we are going through trials and tribulations, just like Jesus said we would, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. When we are going through difficulties, the Lord is right there with us. We have his presence. We have his spirit. We have his promises. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Boy, they're in the fiery furnace. Things couldn't get much worse for them. But who was with them in the midst of their troubles? And Jesus was right there. Sometimes life heats up. And maybe you're going through a difficult season, relationally or financially or physically. Know that the Lord is right there with you in the fire if you believe in him. And think about uh, the life of Joseph. Joseph, and he had everything against him, and yet he could stand on those promises. He knew that the Lord was working everything together for good in his life. He knew that the Lord had a perfect plan. You even think about Jonah. Jonah was in a difficult situation because he was an idiot, because he disobeyed the Lord. And still, the Lord was getting him to where he needed to go. The whole time he was in the belly of that stinky fish, boy, he was en route to where God would have him to be. And so as believers, man, we are so lucky to have the Lord. Because when we have him, there's that sense of peace and direction, the promises that we can stand on that the unbeliever just doesn't have. Verse uh, 6. Nor... Are they plagued like other men? Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart uh, could wish. So Asaph says, man, they don't have any troubles. They're fat and sassy. They have everything. They're totally satisfied. They're so fat that their eyeballs are swelling out of their heads. That's, I mean, that's one fat and sassy dude right there. When your eyeballs are like bulging out of your face. But again, is Asaph right in that? <clears throat> is there any amount of riches this world has to offer? Is there any experience this world can provide for us that brings us true, lasting satisfaction? The answer to that question is no. We know that to be true. We talk about it often. This world has nothing that can bring you true satisfaction. We have testimony after testimony of the rich and famous. And you know what they all say? Hey, you know what? I thought it was here, and guess what? It's not. We've talked about this before. Statistically, people who win the lottery, 
Uh, many of them say that they were better off before they had the money than after they had the money. And then, of course, in scriptures, we have King Solomon. He had everything. Everything that you could possibly want, he had in abundance. And you know what his conclusion was? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. Man, these things that we think that we can chase after and pursue that bring peace and joy and satisfaction, it, it doesn't happen. There's nothing this world has to offer that can bring us uh, joy and, and, and satisfaction. He's, he's wrong in this. Again, his perspective is off because his eyes are not on the Lord. Verse 8. And they scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression and they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Asaph says, and Lord, they curse you. They go about the earth in their pride, talking trash and, and saying whatever they want. And they, they don't recognize you or honor you. And still, Lord, they're blessed. What gives? Verse 11, uh, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Asaph continues on to say, Lord, they don't even care. Uh, they act like there's no consequence, like you don't know what's going on. You can't do anything about it. You don't care about the wicked that they are, uh, you know, in, involved with. And again, Asaph is, is just in this dark place. But there's a level of truth to that because oftentimes in our human nature, we can, you know, lose sight of the fact that God is on the throne. There are many people on this earth today who are going about their wicked lives, who disregard the Lord, and they mistake his patience and his long-suffering for indifference or for impotence or just for ignorance. Well, God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God can't do anything. But here's the thing. God does know. God does care, and God will do something. And so you say, well, why doesn't God do anything now? Why when I, you know, whatever, kick my dog or smash my finger and let words fly, doesn't the Lord just strike me with a lightning bolt and say, Pastor Jeremy, I gave you one too many chances and now psh, you're toast. Judgment is coming. Why is the Lord so long-suffering? Because he desires for us as humans to come to a place of repentance, to come to that place where we say, oh man, I've come to the end of myself and I'm turning to you, Lord. See, we mistake God's desire for us to repent and turn to him for indifference. And so we continue on in our sin thinking, oh, what's the big deal? But here's the thing, is that this season that we live in is a season of grace. It's a season of grace. And just like all the other seasons in our life, there's an end to the season of grace. Grace has an expiration date. Someday grace will be exchanged for judgment. Someday you will be in that place to where if you haven't accepted Christ, it will be too late. Someday Jesus is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And if you haven't submitted to him before then, you will submit to him then, but it'll be too late. And I've talked to guys who say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for the rapture and then I'll know it's all real and then I'll get serious with the Lord. I say, oh, I don't know. I've considered that too. It's a stupid idea, I'm just telling you. But what if you don't make it to the rapture? What if you get hit by a bus after church today? then it'll be too late also. You've got this life. Man, if the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart this morning and saying, man, repent, turn to me, answer that call because the season of grace has an expiration date and we mistake oftentimes God's patience 
with indifference. Don't do that. Asaph was right in his estimation of that. Verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And this really is where Asaph is just sliding off the cliff. And he's like, I've played by the rules my whole life. Lord, I've pursued holiness and obedience. And what have I gotten in return? Nothing but trouble. I would have been better off if I would have just stayed a, a, a heathen. The guys who live in immorality and cheat, they're having all the fun. What am I doing wasting my time being a good guy? Good guys finish last, Asaph says. But Asaph is, again, totally wrong. He's followed his own emotional reasoning to this place where he's been deceived. There is blessing in obedience. But again, he's taken his eyes off the Lord, and you can see the progression. He takes his eyes off the Lord, and then he begins to just look around. Then he begins to notice the things that other people have. Then he begins to notice the things that he doesn't have. Then he begins to become envious and then bitter. And then he comes to this place where he's just ready to walk away and say, Psh, whatever, I, I, I'm done with the whole thing. In verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Now, I really like this part of Psalm 73 because Asaph is going through it. He really is wrestling out some real stuff in his life, saying, Lord, what's going on? I don't get it. His perspective is off. He's confused. He's on a slippery slope. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't jump up on the rooftops and announce it for everybody to hear and say, oh, yeah, listen, everybody, this whole thing of Christianity is a joke. You should forsake the Lord. Good guys finish last, and all the bad boys are having fun. Man, look around you. This whole thing, he did not use his influence to influence others. He didn't take this, you know, kind of, uh, tragedy in his life, spiritually speaking, and, and broadcast it throughout the world. He, he, he pumped the brakes and said, you know what? I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. And, and there's so much wisdom in that. In, in, in our day and age, boy, we see just the opposite taking place. You guys, uh, you know, there's this whole thing of deconstruction that's been going on for a while where people say, you know, I'm just going to deconstruct my faith. And all that means when you hear that when people say, oh, I've deconstructed my faith, it means they've sat down and they've removed everything that they don't like from the Bible, everything that stands in the way of them living the way that they want to, and say, well, I don't like that, and, and God was mean in that, and God was wrong in that, and they just take the things that they want. They deconstruct their faith, throw out the things they don't like, and, and hang on to the things they like. You know what that's called? It's not called Christianity, that's for sure. But there are people who are doing that, and they're doing it very publicly. These so-called like big names, you know, in, in worship or Christian uh, artists or Christian authors or you know YouTubers with huge followings are saying, "Boy, I was a Christian, and I've reconsidered that whole thing. Meh, it's not for me." And you know what they do? They take thousands of people with them because they got their eyes off the Lord. Their perspective is wrong. And now they're headed for destruction and they're bringing people with them. And be careful. Jesus warned his disciples about that, didn't he? He said, hey, you know what? It'd be better off if you had a millstone tied around your neck and you're thrown into the depths of the sea than it would be for you to mislead one of these little ones. And you say, hey, Pastor Jeremy, don't take that out of context. He was talking to kids. Well, we can apply that to spiritual age too. 
Well, we, we taking people who are, are young and influenced in, uh, you know, their, their faith and leading them away from the Lord? You will answer to the Lord for that. You don't want to do that. We talked about this on Wednesday night when we looked at King David's life, how the role of the king in ancient Israel was to, to lead people into a closer walk with the Lord and how God had given David so much influence and how we can sit back and say, well, yeah, he was king, though. We discuss the truth, the reality that the Lord has given each and every single one of us influence in somebody else's life. Every one of us, there's people who look up to us, people that we are parents to or bosses for or neighbors to. Are we leading people closer to the Lord or further away? It's very interesting. But, but Asaph here, I love it. He pumps the brakes and says, you know what? Ugh, I'm wrestling this thing out. It's okay to wrestle things out. It's okay to have questions. But don't take people down in the wreckage just because you're having an unsure season in your own life. And Asaph, he pumps the brakes on this and says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cause other people to stumble. That wouldn't be right. Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood. See, that's what I love. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. Asaph, boy, he was confused. He didn't get it. His perspective was all off. It was painful. And then he went to the house of the Lord, and he got it. It clicked. He, he went into church, basically. He, he said, I, I just need, I'm going to go meet with the Lord. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to study his word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meet with him at the table of communion. Now, I'm not saying that's what Asaph did. Church is a little bit different today than it looked then. But he went and he met with the Lord. And as he met with the Lord, what happened? Boy, his perspective came into focus. He was given a heavenly perspective. Boy, those things that were all off, he got recalibrated. And you know what? The same thing is true for us. As we're wrestling things out, as there's things that we don't get and understand, things that hurt us, things that we're bitter about. Boy, there's something special about the way the Lord meets us when we come into the sanctuary and we worship the Lord. And we meet with the Lord in prayer. And we sit at his feet and we we study through his word together and we meet him at the table of communion. You know how many times you guys have come to me and said, Pastor Jeremy, are you reading my mail? Man, what you spoke about today, that's the same verse. That's right where I am. Boy, the Lord's been working on me in that area. That was in my devotion, whatever it is. I'll tell you what, I'm not, I don't I have nothing to do with it. That's not me. That's the Lord. He's just gracious when we come into the sanctuary to meet us right where we are. There's so many places that we, we run to friends and to social media and to other things. And be like Asaph and run into the sanctuary and say, Lord, I just need you. I need you to straighten me out. I need you to give me the perspective uh, that I need. Don't look to your emotions. Look to the Lord. Verse 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. And so as Asaph is getting this perspective, he understands that, man, this world is all the wicked have to look forward to. That's it. This world is as good as it gets for them. This world is as close to heaven as the unbeliever will ever get. And this world is as close to hell 
as the believer will ever experience. And Asaph just, he gets that revelation. Lord, they're headed for destruction. You are on the throne. You are in control. You've got this. And, and he rests in that. And then he finds this conviction in verse 21. He says, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was foolish and I was ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. See, in that moment, as his perspective was, was changed, as he really was uh, recalibrated, as the Lord met with him, he realized, man, he had sinned. There was this place of conviction. And he confessed his sin. Lord, I blew it. And that's such a good and healthy place for us to be when we have walked in uh, disobedience, when we've walked in sin. To, to be those who are broken over our sin, who say, Lord, I blew it. Would you please forgive me? Because here's the thing. When we confess our sin, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's just what the Lord does. That's 1 John 1.9. Uh, that's a promise. But so often when we find ourselves in sin, it's not conviction that we respond to. It's condemnation that causes us to, to shy away from the Lord. See, the enemy hates the reality that we can go to the Lord and be forgiven. And so he brings condemnation into our lives. He speaks things like, you're not good enough. The Lord's not going to forgive you again. Because oftentimes when I'm wrestling with something in my life, I say, Lord, would you forgive me again? Lord, would you forgive me again in this area? And I begin to feel so terrible, and the enemy capitalizes on that. And I begin to imagine God there with his arms crossed and his brow furrowed and a look of disappointment like, here he comes again. I guess I'll forgive you. I mean, really, we're going to do this again? But you see, that's not the Lord. The Lord, uh, he, he, he wants, he desires, he's ready, the Bible says, to forgive. He's looking for opportunities to forgive us. He's not there arms folded, brow furrowed, grumpy. But he's there like the father of the prodigal son, arms wide open. Come, be forgiven. Don't ever forget that. That's good. Asaph goes and, and, and he, he walks in forgiveness there. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, Asaph, he's getting it now. See, man, everything that I was leaning on failed me, but Lord, you will never fail me. And that's the truth. Man, your emotions, they will fail you every time. They're fickle. Your circumstances, they're changing. But the Lord, he will never fail you. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare uh, all your works. And so Asaph here, man, he starts out on just unstable ground, uh, irritated, distraught, confused. His perspective was wrong, but then he goes into the sanctuary. He goes and he meets with the Lord. And you know what happens, man? The Lord changes his heart, changes his perspective, recalibrates him. And man, what a wonderful thing that is that we get to do this morning. As we come into the sanctuary, as we come, as we study God's word, where we get to come into this place and say, Lord, there's lots of things that I don't understand. There's lots of things I'm confused about. There's some things that are bugging me. But as we pour out our hearts, as we spend time with the Lord, man, that ground that was shaky, boy, it becomes firm. Those places where we were wrong and our perspective was off, boy, we begin to get that heavenly perspective. 
And it's so important that we continue to do this. When you are going through those seasons, man, run to the sanctuary of the Lord. Run into his presence. And one of the things that we get to do and as we get to go to the table, Jesus understood that we would need to be reminded often, that we would need that recalibration often. And that happens, man, so wonderfully at the table. When Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. This is going to be something that recalibrates you. This is going to be something that grounds you. And so as we come to the table this morning, man, those things that are bugging you, those things that are tripping you up, and bring them to the Lord. Spend some time with him. And as you do, man, rejoice in the fact that he gives you that proper perspective. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.